The documentary editor, Louis Erskine, died last week at age 64. On this episode, we pay tribute to his legacy. I'm Tom Powers, and this is Pure Nonfiction. Louis Erskine has a long history of documentary credits, including many films on black history. He edited several films for Stanley Nelson, including Freedom Riders and Miles Davis' Birth of the Cool. Louis also worked with Ken Burns on jazz and Jackie Robinson. He grew up in New York City and started his career in music recording. He moved into editing for television. Then the filmmaker St. Clair Bourne brought him into long-form documentaries. In addition to working as an editor, Lewis also taught at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. Here he is speaking to a class at City College in 2019. Many of the things that were taught to me as an editor were not taught to me by editing. Um, I, I taught myself to edit. I, did not, I didn't have the benefit of being an apprentice and sort of coming up behind somebody. I was kind of, I was kind of handed the, was kind of handed the stage and they said go. Um, and so I learned on the job. Uh, but much of what I, much, much of what I feel like I know about editing, I know from music arrangement. I know from choreography. My, my aunt managed a dance company when I was young, and we would sit in the theater and watch this dance company um, perform, and then we would go backstage, and she would talk about, you know, the, the audience gave a standing ovation, but Ivy was saying, okay, your foot was here, it should have been there, right, to somebody who was in the back of the line. So, so that kind of attention to detail and making sure that actually everything is right from a distance, I learned that kind of stuff, and that's, I take that into the edit room. I've crossed paths with Lewis over the past 15 years at New York film screenings and festivals. He was a striking figure with short dreadlocks and often a stylish hat. I'd seen him on the dance floor, outlasting almost everyone else. A year ago, in an email exchange, he mentioned that he'd hit some health speed bumps, in his words, and he was working on getting better. Last week, the news of his death triggered an outpouring of memories from his friends and colleagues on social media. I spoke to three people who knew him from different vantage points. Stanley Nelson was his friend and collaborator for over 30 years. He was a great, great editor, um, but he was an even greater uh, human being. And, you know, everybody, he treated everybody with kindness and respect. And, um, you know, he, he was truly, you know, a model for me, you know. Um, I'll never live up to that, but at least it's something that, you know, I can strive for. Sabrina Schmidt-Gordon first got to know Lewis over 20 years ago as his assistant. When you think about, like, your relationship with people, it feels very singular. And I know, like, reading some of, like, the tributes to him and everything, and I realized I shared him with so many people. There's so many people who talked about him. Shala Lynch met Lewis when she was a researcher for Ken Burns. Years later, when she was directing her second film, Free Angela and All Political Prisoners, she brought Lewis on to edit. So that he's this combination of ego and egoless. He's this combination of kindness and toughness. He's this combination of greatness and, you know, teacher. 
We'll hear more from each of them. We start with Stanley Nelson, who has a distinguished career making films on black history, many of them in collaboration with his wife, Marcia Smith. Lewis worked on five of those projects over two decades. I asked Stanley how they first met. Um, I think I first, I first met Lewis um, at WNET. I believe he was working at the uh, nightly news show, uh, PBS's nightly news show. And uh, I was working um, on something in the building. And, um, you know, we just kind of started talking, you know, in the elevator or something. And um, when uh, I started working uh, for Bill Moyers in like 91 or so, um, they asked me about, you know, what editor I, uh, I wanted to work with. And uh, I, I chose Lewis, one, because he was maybe the only African-American editor in the building. And, um, you know, we got along and I thought we had the same kind of mindset and sensibility. In the 1990s, Stanley began working on his second feature documentary, The Black Press, Soldiers Without Swords, about the history of black newspapers in America. We didn't exist in the other papers. We were neither born, we didn't get married, we didn't die, we didn't fight in any wars, we never participated in anything of a scientific achievement. We were truly invisible unless we committed a crime. But in the black press, the Negro press, we did get married. They showed us our babies being born. They showed us graduating. They showed our PhDs. Lewis was the editor. One of the things I, I should say as background is that, you know, I, I had worked as, as an editor uh, with William Greaves um, for, for a while. And I edited, you know, my first film, um, uh, $2 in a Dream. Um, on, on 16 millimeter myself. So, so that, you know, I, I, I knew a bit about editing when I came into it and, you know, that's always helped. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, when we, we did the black press, I mean, that was one of the hardest films, uh, you know, I've ever made um, because we, we kind of had to invent the story. And um, I, you know, Lewis was was a great help. I mean, Lewis always, you know, was just such a positive human being, and and you know, fun to be with in the edit room. So you know, we could have fun and joke around, um, and, and you know, we just really, you know, kind of liked each other. Um, you know, we edited that film down down in Soho, uh, you know, like right on um, uh, Houston Street, no, right on Broadway, in in, in right off Houston Street, uh, in, in Soho, you know, and. And, and every afternoon, you know, we would take a walk around the block and just be amazed at, at all the crowds and, and all the people down there and, and you know, could, could laugh and joke and then get back into the edit room. But again, you know, it was a really hard film because it, it wasn't a story, you know, we had to kind of invent, the, invent a story um, of, of African-American newspapers, you know, over like 150 years or so. Stanley said that Lewis made him a nicer person. And I asked him to elaborate. Lewis was the nicest guy. I mean, that's why if you look on, on Twitter and social media, there's everybody's heart is pouring out because Lewis was just the nicest guy. And, um, and you know, sometimes things get tense, you know, in editing because, you know, I, at, at various times for me, you know, even, even though I, I've worked on a number of films, you know, you feel like the film's not there and, 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 you know, oh my God, I'm going to mess this thing up. 
Um, and and well, at one point, a couple years ago, you know, I was I was just in that mood, you know, I was like mad at the world, and I was about to go, I was about to go off on the assistant editor, and Lewis just looked at me, and it was like, Stanley, don't do it, Stanley, don't do it. <laughs> I mean, and I knew just what he meant. And probably, you know, nobody else except my wife, Marsha, could have said those words to me. And I would have known what they meant and I would have heeded those words. Um, it will, you know, it, Lewis just was nice in a way that you wanted to be nice like him. The last project they worked on together was Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool. You know, Lewis and I hadn't worked together for a couple of years. He was working, I was working, and um, it just hadn't sunk up. And uh, when uh, we got the project Miles, about Miles Davis, um, that became Miles Davis' Birth of the Cool, um, Lewis was the first person and only person that I thought of. A lot of times, you know, um, I'll kind of wait to engage an editor. It just because, you know, schedules change. And as soon as we got as soon as we knew about it, you know, um, I, I went to Lewis because, you know, he's a he's a real music lover. Um, he, he's a lover. He, he was a lover of jazz. Um, and and I, I knew that 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 the project, you know, would take the sensibility um, that Lewis had to to understand Miles and, and, and to, uh, you know, work with 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 his music. Um, and he was the, he was the perfect choice. Right now, it's the film that, 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 that I'm most proud of, and uh, that's a testament to Lewis. My second guest is Sabrina Schmidt-Gordon, who wears many hats in documentary as a director, producer, and editor. She's also the co-chair of the Black Documentary Collective. That organization was started by St. Clair Bourne, and continued by others when he died in 2007. I realize as I look up that date, St. Clair was also 64 at his death, the same age as Lewis. Sabrina met Lewis in the 1990s when she was still learning the ropes as an assistant editor. She was hired for Stanley's film, The Black Press. Lewis was her mentor. He made all the difference in, in the world for me, even though it was just that one job and that one time, but it has continued to inform, my experience with him continued to inform my career and my trajectory as an editor, because first of all, he was the first editor. And again, I wasn't doing it for that long, but to just kind of cut to the chase, he was the first editor that actually took time to explain to me what I was working on, you know? And so, you know, as an assistant editor, especially like I don't come from a background with film or anything like that. So it was always non-digital editing. So that kind of work as an assistant editor is purely technical. There's a way in which you can be doing that work and have no interaction at all with the creative part of the process. You're logging, you're digitizing, you know, things like that. So he um, and Stanley, I would say, like sort of included me more in the sort of process and like the work that we were doing. Like I would actually watch scenes. I would talk to, about scenes with them. I would talk about like he would give me some context for what I was doing. Whereas on other projects, it was just like whether someone, you know, I, I don't want to make people sound like complete like jerks or anything, but it's not like people really took the time. Like sometimes I could work on a project and barely know what it was about. One thing that's just kind of funny when I think back about it, on it, I remember we're working on the film and I remember one night he says to me, because basically this was at the time where, you know, avids were so expensive and you only had one or 
too. And so like the editor would work during the day and you would come in at night and work, you know, as an assistant editor over the night, overnight. And you would sort of overlap, like as I, you know, as the assistant editor comes in and the editor's leaving, you go over some notes and then, you know, you're there um, doing like sort of the night shift. And I remember he said to me, you know, there's, there's a scene he goes, I don't think it's working very well. After you're done with, you know, all your other stuff, if you want, why don't you take a stab at it and, and you know, try, like, cut something. And I remember at the time, I was like, they need my help, you know? So, so I'm thinking, like, oh, my gosh, I have to put my best mind to this because they're counting on me to help out with the scene that's not working, and I've got to come through. And so, you know, so I'm editing and, and so on. And I, and I remember, like, the next day he would come in, and he would stay for a little, a little bit later, and he would look at the, uh, look at my scene, and you know, and it wasn't like he just gave me feedback about what I did. He actually sat there and was teaching me editing, in a way that I almost didn't even get it at the at the time that he's explained to me not just what's working, what's not, but why, and like just going into like this detail about what happens when you juxtapose this image with that image look at the difference when you take that out and then you have these two new juxtapositions how does that change the meaning that I like this all like and it's just sometimes I, I I laugh when I think about like oh he needed my help and I'm like he was like teaching me in a way like without me having ever even asked you know after Lewis died Sabrina posted a memory of him on Facebook that prompted a long string of comments when you think about like your relationship with people, it feels very singular. And I know like reading some of like the tributes to him and everything, and I realized I shared him with so many people. There's so many people who talked about him as a mentor and what they've learned from him and like having worked with him. And so you, you know, it's like when you think about your interaction with someone, I mean, you're thinking about, you know, like the two of you. And then just in reading this, I realized like he really had a reach, even though you might've known it in, in, in theory, but to like um, see the outpouring and the specific and the stories that people are telling, you realize like, wow, he was this times, you know, hundreds, thousands, I don't know, to so many people. So it's, um, um, you know, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful to, to, to see. And you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about him, like he was, he, I mean, if you knew Lewis, you knew that, I mean, he was so smart and so talented and his and and when I say smart is he had a way of like like when I would talk about how he would teach me like he was like the master of the best like analogies and metaphors that you're like why don't I think about like really clever insightful things like that to say but like he was just a, a master you know at that and then the generosity and part of that generosity I think also you know I think of um so I was thinking about all of the different ways he's really influenced me and my work. And one of the things that would keep coming to mind too is that uh, as much as generosity, I would also think about like about how he was brutally honest. And I say that because I think when we talk about being brutally honest, that tends to have like a little bit of a negative connotation. It has like a little bit of a mean spiritedness about it, but it wasn't like that with him at all. It was brutally honest in that like he, you could count on him to tell you the truth about, you know, the work, you know, like if you're struggling with something, he will acknowledge, yeah, you're struggling. <laughs> you know, he's not gonna bullshit you, but he's gonna tell you the truth, but it never felt at all, at all harsh or mean-spirited, but it was almost as if like, um, you felt as if, okay, 
like he sees what you see, like you're re like you're relating like editor to editor. He's, he gets the challenge I'm having right now, you know, and he can give me some insight into like how, you know, how to work through it. The day Sabrina learned of Lewis's death, she was watching a live online panel to discuss the new BIPOC editor database. That project was spearheaded by Carla Gutierrez and David Teague, working with the Alliance for Documentary Editors. Their goal is to create a directory so that filmmakers can more easily search for editors from underrepresented communities. So here was an online gathering of BIPOC editors just as people were learning of Lewis's death. The timing was poignant. I've thought about that. I've thought about that a lot. I've thought about that a lot. And I, I, I said how, you know, when we talk about how, you know, <laughs> And I, and I hope this is taken in the spirit in which I mean it, but it's almost like sometimes we, I remember talking to Lewis about like finding that great scene to open a film or to close a film. And there was a way in which I'm like, wow, like you departed on the day that like you sort of launched, we launched like this new generation of BIPOC editors and, and, and he, he makes this grand exit, I suppose, in, in a weird way on that day. Like it, it, I, I, it was certainly something that has been on my mind. There's something that's kind of poetic about it and kind of beautiful, you know, about it. Um, that it just, it just, because at the end of the day, you know, I, I know Lewis, people have asked Lewis about like, does he want to direct and things like that. And I, and I remember talking to him and I remember sometimes he would say that he, you know, he has some ideas and some things like that. And I don't know how much he really wanted to, but I remember always feeling you are an editor. Like that is who you are like through and through and through and through. Like, like that is your art. That is your, like your virtuosity. Like, and so I just think like, when I think about him that way and his passing on the day that this, this beautiful initiative to support you know, all the many people that he has mentored that were on there, um, I think that's how I, 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 I think. I think whenever you have, you do something where everything that you love is like, is part of what you do. Like he compared editing to, to music and to sailing and to, um, and to performance and dance, all of the things that he really loved. I'm like, this is this is who you are. This is what you do. It's like you know everything about what he loves is he finds in the in his his, his calling. You know. Let's hear Lewis again in the classroom, talking about the relationship between editors and directors. You have to learn how to protect yourself. You have to learn what is you fucking up and what is them fucking up, and you have to learn to say that was me, and you have to learn to say, no, this is you, right? Like, and to say, you have to come back, next time you come into my edit room, you bring something better, right? Bring something, that's, this is not gonna work. And that is still very difficult for me. My final guest is Shala Lynch. The first documentary she directed was Chisholm 72, Unbought and Unbossed, about the presidential candidate, Shirley Chisholm. She followed up, with Free Angela and All Political Prisoners about Angela Davis. Today, Shala works at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, a branch of the New York Public Library, overseeing its collections of motion pictures and audio. One of Shala's first jobs in film was working as a researcher for Ken Burns' company, Florentine Films. I was a nobody, but excited to be there. 
and the producers were bringing in editors for jazz. And this tall drink of water walks through the door with a mane of hair, dreadlocks, right? And a quiet, possessed confidence. And I was like, wow, who is that? <laughs> it was Lewis Erskine. <laughs> Needless to say, he was hired along with a handful of other editors for that series. So that was my first interaction with Lewis, just impressed. And he had worked on films, I think with Stanley Nelson before that, particularly the black press and Marcus Garvey, I think. Um, and so his reputation preceded him. But I didn't get to know Lewis until working on that project, that the jazz series. And we had, he was up in New Hampshire and I was in the New York office and he called me up one day might have been on a weekend or after hours or something like that. And it, it felt as though he had nothing to say except hi. You know, it was like, it was one of those slow starting conversations, which is Lewis, right? You know, he works you up to the point, right? Right. You know, he doesn't go straight at it sometimes. And he was letting me know, he said, I don't know you but I have a sense of your work and your work ethic. And I just need to let you know that there's there there's a problem up here that you have to attend to, that there's some been disparaging X, Y, and Z that you need to, um, that I wanted to let you know about so you could handle. And he, he was coming with just respect and care and mentorship. There were not that many people of color on this project. <laughs> you know and from that moment he was my brother he was my brother because you know we all like to think that we achieve what we achieve by ourselves but that's a lie <laughs> and there are the people along the way that um tap you or point to you or just say the right thing that little bit of encouragement and, you know, Lewis was one of those people for me in, in my career, um, but I'm not the only one. This was not, you know, particular to me, this is how he walked through the world. He walked through the world with a moral compass and he acted out on it with um, respect and kindness, you know? And when I started and I declared I was gonna make a film, Lewis was like, okay, let me know what I can do. And I was like, can you edit the trailer for me with me? You know, that would be so much fun. And, you know, when you're a young woman coming up in a business that is male dominated and you're being taken seriously by colleagues who have, who've achieved so much, um, that it's something. And that was the beginning of our actual working relationship. And the thing that I take away from that experience, he's like, okay, you know, I have an editing system, you know, you have to have all your stuff together and I can give you the weekend. And I was like, the weekend, oh no. You know, we just worked on a, a, a series that was so many different episodes and years and years in the making. I was like pressed and anxious and wanted to move really fast. And I remember him turning to me and going, slow down, slow down. And he, heard what I was trying to do and he was a maestro on the keyboard 
that's what he was. He was, you know, people call him an editing master, but he was a maestro in the, in the sense that he was taking all of it in and mixing it. He was seeing and hearing and collaging. And that process was not something you could just sit down and do. You, he, he could feel it. And for me, that that was um, where we connected because I was always interested in the feeling of the moment. And it, he helped me direct better because he worked with that. He was patient. He brought, uh, right, his editor savantness, right? What's his Twitter handle at editor savant? That, that is Lewis. <laughs> when it came time to edit the film of Chisholm 72, Shala worked with another legendary editor, Sam Pollard. But years later, she turned to Lewis when she had a work in progress of Free Angela. He was the closer for Free Angela. We had been working on it and, you know, struggling with finding the story without narration um, and, and struggling with Angela because she's so intellectual. And Lewis came in and saw her from... He was like, I used to have an Angela Davis poster on my wall when I was a kid, right? Like, so he had a certain, a different set of eyes and we needed his eyes. Um, and so it brought a fresh energy and he was able to bring not only her intellect and politics to the fore. This is, this is nuanced editing. This is the master editing part. We had figured out the structure, but we needed to elevate the story. And he was able to come in and do that. And it was such a pleasure to kind of wrestle with him over various issues. <laughs> he also, the opening sequence, I kept saying, there's no way we'll ever be able to license the music for this. So we're going to have to take it out and find other music. And it was a Max Roach and Abby Lincoln song. And we tried, we tried finding all these other songs. And finally, we just decided there's no way we have to keep the song. He was like, Shala, you have to keep the song. Go talk to the estate. And I said, all right, I'm going to do it. But it turns out we were able to license the music, right? That that song is so integral to the opening and also to the story and sets the stage. You, Lewis's ears, can we talk about his ears for a second? Like he could have been an audio engineer or like a music producer, his ears and his sensitivity to sound and how they work with images and the timing. You know, he really was the maestro on the editing, the, the editing keyboard. He would listen and like, well, he was smoother and cooler than I'm doing. <laughs> so what we shared was this, this uh, common bond in wanting to tell stories about Black folks in the way that we want to hear them. So in other words, not as uplift, but um, to infuse each story with the nuance and humanity and the details. But you can't have every detail. And so sometimes it is, it's the way an image works with a sound that gets you in a moment, right? And he, and he was good at that. He was good at that. He was good at that. And he always felt like it was worth taking the extra time to work on it. There was no argument about that there. We were speaking just four days after Lewis's death and still grappling with how to make sense of it. 
So one of the last conversations Lewis and I had, um, and I think this is a really important piece, you know, Lewis, we've had a summer and a year of death, unnecessary death. And Lewis had prostate cancer, but you know, black men die unnecessarily of prostate cancer because it's not detected early enough. He is the second of my friends, close friends, who have battled this. Um, and the, the, the rate of winning is only 50%. And again, it's because black men are not tested by their doctors early enough. So if nothing else comes out of this, and he would love activism to come out of anything that he does, right? Talk to the black men in your life and make sure that they're talking to their doctors and asking not only for the physical exam, but for the PSA exam um, and for them to be tested because early detection can make all the difference in the world. But this was the thing I wanted to say. We were talking about health insurance, right? We were talking about how grateful we were to have health insurance and great coverage. He at NYU and me with the New York Public Library System and that that kind of relief allows us to do all this other work in the independent field. And so, you know, we need to do better for our brothers and sisters in the documentary field. We need to figure out how people can live securely and comfortably because we all work too hard not to. Shala says one of the hardest things to process is knowing that Lewis had the potential to do so much more. You know, this is the, there's this anxiousness that comes with wanting to achieve in the business. And then when you get a certain to a certain level, you can relax. And that's when the genius comes out. And I, I know that there was more for him to do. So it wasn't about a particular subject, a particular story. I just know that each time he went to bat, he was getting better. <laughs> and stronger and learning something new. And that that gumbo had been uh, on the slow burn for decades, right? I mean, he left too soon, but I hope that he is somewhere at an amazing dance party, <laughs> having amazing conversations about politics, starting some, starting some shit. <laughs> and I hope Lewis rests in um, power, but also in peace. And I hope he knows how many, how many of us miss him already. I want to thank Stanley Nelson, Sabrina Schmidt-Gordon, and Shala Lynch for speaking with me. If you want to experience Lewis Erskine's work, take a look at Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool, or Free Angela and All Political Prisoners. See our show notes for links to those films, plus a video of Lewis in the classroom and a transcript of a speech he gave at the Sundance Film Festival. Thanks to our team, series producer, Hannah Nordenswan, social media coordinator, Elizabeth Schifrin, and web designer, Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams and our executive producer is Rafaela Nehausen. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at T-H-O-M Powers. You can read our show notes and sign up for our newsletter at purenonfiction.net. 